All right, so July 4th, Independence Day. We're going to talk, talk about it a little bit. I want to read uh, the first two paragraphs from the, the Declaration of Independence, okay? Um, if you haven't read it in a long time, I'm a little guilty of that. I didn't remember all of it, so. But let's just read it real quick and see what we're, what we're celebrating here. So, in Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of the government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form. As to them, shall seem most likely to the effect to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will indicate that government long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by the abolishing of the forms which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, I can't even say that word, sorry, <laughs> pursuing invariable the same object, invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their, for their future security. Such has been the patient suffering of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former system of government. Almost done here. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries, and somebody's going to have to help me with this. Us usurpations. <laughs> Sorry. All having in, in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. And then it says, to prove this, let the facts be submitted to the candid world. And after that, they go into all the things that the King of England has done that is a reason why they're wanting to separate. Now, that was a lot in there, written very well. But there's a part that I want to talk about in here. If you notice... This main part where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, 
that they are all, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what we're going to talk about. That section. What does it mean by life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? Is life just about the processes of living? Being conceived, living, getting older, dying off? Is liberty just being free of all restrictions? Having the right to be who you are, how you feel, how you want to live? Is happiness how you feel with that life and liberty? To love as you see fit, to love your life. Now, these things may or may not be part or whole of what they intended when they wrote that. I'm not an expert on the Declaration. I don't pretend to be. In regards to a country and its citizens... This is not a bad document. This is not a bad declaration. It may be the best that's ever been written. But, God does better. We are blessed by God to live where we are now, to have been born here. We are blessed with what God has given us, even if we don't recognize it. But we would be blessed no matter where we lived. No matter what country you live in, you would be blessed. Even if it wasn't the United States of America. That preamble, those first two paragraphs there, those are not true just because we say it. They're true because God loves us. And God is not restrained to those words. His ultimate purpose for us, in my opinion, is not linked to a country or a state. We have the choice of receiving the blessing of life, liberty, and happiness. Not through statehood, not through country of citizenship, no matter how great that country is or isn't, but through heavenly citizenship, through the Lord Jesus Christ, only through the Lord Jesus Christ. That life, liberty, and happiness is something entirely greater, something entirely different in God's plan. So let's talk about real life. Life instead of death. Everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Real life in Christ, but death without Christ. The unbeliever is perishing because they've already been judged. Just like we all have. But they have no propitiation for sin. In Christ, you have life. You have freedom from death. Death has no hold over us. Did you know that before coming to Christ that you were a slave? Nobody likes to think of it that way. But you were a slave and you had no life. Hebrews 2 talks about this in 14 through 15, where it says, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, 
so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to, the slavery, to slavery all their lives. Anyone not in Christ is a slave to sin. It's the bottom line of it. But you might say, I've been in control of my life my entire life, even before I was a Christian. Who are you to say that I was a slave? You ever heard that? that uh, I think it was a song, but then it's a phrase as well where they say, Jesus, take the wheel, right? When you were not born again, you were not in control. Lust was in control. Addiction was your compass. Anger, greed, idolatry, name any sin. That had the cruise control, and that had you pointed on the highway to hell. That's just the, it's the bottom line of Christianity, of, of truth. But Jesus does have our wheel, and He has broken our chains, and He has washed us clean, and He has given us true life. True life that you can't get anywhere else. Romans 6.23 plays into this. Where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God for grace because we cannot merit this on our own. I don't care how good of a person you think you are, how many things you do for other people, it is only through Christ that we can escape this and enter eternal life. Now what about real liberty? Real liberty. I'm going to quote that Romans one more time where it said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This talks of death, but it also talks of the root, the root problem. What is the root problem in there? You want liberty? God will give you liberty. You want freedom from sin, the root? Then you have to admit that you had a problem. That you have a problem. Proverbs 29 says, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from sin? And Romans 3.23 connects with this and it says, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Since the days of Adam, we have been born into sin. There's nobody in this room without it. There's nobody on this planet without it. Anybody who says so is a liar. But thank God for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Back into Romans for a second here in chapter 6, 17 through 18, where it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the, from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Slavery when we think of that word, especially nowadays, has a bad context. And it should, right? Especially when we talk about early slavery in the early days of the United States, in which it existed much 
farther back than just that. But when it comes to God, you have two options. There's only two options. There's no middle ground. As a fallen person, which we all are, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. And they mean different things. They are entirely different from each other. When you're a slave to sin, your will is gone. That sinful nature has total control over you. And it destroys you. It destroys families. It destroys people. Anyone. It destroys nations. When you're a slave to Christ, you have disregarded that self-interest and you've served Christ's interest instead. You have a new ability to think clearly and that is true freedom. You didn't have that ability before. You couldn't think in that way before. That was foreign to you, to all of us. But we are all created in God's image. We were not created for sin. And yet, as the Scriptures say in 2 Corinthians, it says, He made Him who knew no sin to be our sin, to be sin on our behalf, I'm sorry, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Christ's death on the cross. You have to believe in that death and that resurrection to have true freedom. We weren't made for sin to rule us. But God is so good that He gives you that choice. And He gives you choices beyond that after you have come to faith. You want to do something that society thinks okay, thinks is okay, but the Scriptures don't? That God doesn't? You can do it. God's not going to stop you. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians, it talks of this a little bit more. Where it says, I have the right to do, to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You don't lose your will when you come to Christ. You gain it. You want to sin? You want to go back to an old, an old sin problem? You want to dabble just a little bit on the side and see if you can handle it? That's your will. You can do that if you want. You want to go back to the law? You want to try to earn your salvation? You can do that too. God's not going to stop you. God's not going to drag you kicking and screaming to heaven. Do you want to go back to things that are not beneficial but are detrimental? It's your choice. That's the freedom. You have true freedom. But why would you do it? Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Real freedom, and this is something that you probably don't really think about, the real freedom is not doing whatever you want. I know it seems like that. But God has given us a true freedom because now that we have the Spirit in us, we can repent. We can be free from sin. We can be free from the guilt of sin. 
We can be free from the condemnation of sin, and we can be free from the penalty of sin. That doesn't mean that we have to try to earn our way to heaven. We've gotten all of this through belief in Christ. And one day, when we're in heaven together, we'll have that freedom of being without the presence of sin as well. What a different environment that'll be. It's hard to even imagine. We've talked of life. We've talked of... Now let's talk about happiness. We talked of liberty as well. Let's talk about real happiness. Now these are not exclusive. You might think of other things. But two things pop into my mind when I think of true happiness. True happiness in Christ. I think of doing and being. So what's the doing? God has given us the freedom to do or to not to do in the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 in uh, Luke 4. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He has set the oppressed free. Now let's, let's add 2 Corinthians into this. 5.20 Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Listen to that one more time. As though God were making an appeal through us. When God saves you, He gives you a joyful purpose. He gives you honor, joy, and happiness to preach good news. You couldn't preach that before. You didn't know what it was. And now you can. Now you can preach the only means to salvation to a sinful world. It's not just a preacher up here that does it. It's everybody. And the fields are ripe. They're ready for harvest. God has great pleasure in using us for His purpose. Now no matter the results, it is a great pleasure for us as well. You can't always see the results. You don't know what you've been a part of. But you don't know what's going to happen when God uses you for somebody else. It could be years, it could be minutes. But that result will show up. So that ultimate happiness, that doing and being, what about the being? You have ultimate happiness in being in Christ. That is something the world will never be able to give you. I don't care how many pills they give you. I don't care how many psychiatric sessions you go to, how many good news conferences you go to. Christ is the only way to get that true happiness. I want to bring up a verse here. And we've talked about this before, and it is almost entirely talked about in the context of funerals. Entirely. Does anybody have a guess on which one we're going to look at here? All right. Well, it's going to be, we're going to talk about Psalm 23 for just a second here. This is almost entirely, entirely used for funerals. But listen to it. Listen to what God is saying here, okay? A psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of His name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. That is now. That is not just when you die. That is now. That is in the present tense of how you are living now in Christ. Think about it. He lies you he lays you beside the still waters now. He leads you to green pastures when you need them. Christ restores your soul. When you pray, there should be a restoring that happens. When you read the word, there should be a restoring that happens. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, tell me that isn't what we're going through now. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death every day. But we don't fear it. In fact, we don't fear it so much that we're able to sit down and eat dinner amongst it. We have a table before set before us in the presence of our enemies. And God blesses us. Our cup does overflow. He has anointed us. That is now. You get a chance, you sit down and read that and you pray on that. That is the Christian life now and we are blessed. <clears throat> so July 4th is about freedom in the United States. It is about life. It is about liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You should celebrate that. I do. I know that my family does. But don't forget when you celebrate it that it is secondary and it is limited and it is minor in scope compared to the life, liberty, not the pursuit, but the happiness that is in Christ Jesus. That you don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to chase after it. In God's grace, it is yours.